Good? Yep. Okay. All right. Well, we're continuing on then in our little uh, course that we're doing on the kingdom of God. So Wednesday nights we do Bible Institute now. Most of you know that. Um, and everybody's welcome to sit in on these classes. If you want to take them for credits, you can actually become part of our Bible Institute where you can earn an associate's degree or a bachelor's degree if you would like. It's all free. Not many deals like that going around. There's 104 courses available online right now. And uh, you can take any of them that you would like. Uh, the advantage to free courses is if you start one and don't like it, boop, don't, don't finish it. Start another one. And uh, finish 20, you can get an associate's degree. Finish 40, and you can have a bachelor's degree. So uh, there you go. We had 616 students as of this morning. Um, those are students all over the world. Kind of cool. Just watching that number grow every week. It's kind of fun to see that happen. And, and uh, there you go. So we decided we'd teach some courses here on Wednesday nights for a little while um, and tackle some stuff that uh, I've wanted to tackle. We had been eight and a half years in just working through the Bible at chapter time, which is a wonderful thing to do. But uh, the hurricane came and it seemed prudent to switch around nights for me for a little bit. And we'll do this for a while and then we'll, we'll do whatever we need to do next. We can go back to the chapter at a time. Or there's a few more courses I think we'll teach. So we are talking right now about the kingdom of God, the gospel of the kingdom. And I think there's a diagram on your notes that uh, I've uh, sort of worked up to over the last few weeks. And what we've talked about is, in, in effect, the, the tension of the now and the not yet. I, and the way that we define that is that, that this present age that we're involved in right now, it's, a, it's, you know, its hallmark is evil because of the little G-God of this age who's trying to keep everybody blinded to the truth. And uh, as the scripture teaches us about the age to come, which is a perfect age where everything is set back, to the way it was for the, at the beginning and there is no more mess or sin or brokenness or hurt or any of those things and that um, what we live in in effect right now is a tension between the two ages because the power of the age to come is broken into this age when Jesus came the first time at the cross so if you want the fancy name for that we call that an inaugurated eschatology it means that we already are living in the end times but the, the thing is it's, it's not fully here yet um, and what we're talking about is when Jesus comes back on his second coming, um, then he's going to reorder everything uh, and um, the, the, the age to come breaks in at that point in time. Of course, then we had to make a little room for a little thing called the millennium. And we talked about that and one more little thing at the end. But um, we set that all up for you so you can see it. And we've talked about the prophetic perspective that when the prophets... We're looking back at this thing happening out front. They couldn't tell it was two separate events. It looked, because you, it's hard for them to tell time. When you're looking into the future, it's hard to see time. Um, and you just see events, and you think they're all happening right away. So they, the, they couldn't see the, that it was two separate comings that was taking place of Jesus in order to accomplish what he did. But we know that's what he did. He came the first time, and he dealt with sin. And uh, he made a way for us to be reconciled to God. He paid for sin at the cross. He came as the lamb the first time. When he comes back, the next time he's going to set everything right, he comes back as the lion, if you would. And, and so we're living in between those two times, uh, those two ages, and that causes us tension. And um, it's a great tension. I said on a Sunday not that long ago, living in that tension lets you know you're a child of God. And so you, in, in, rather than trying to say, oh, I don't like tension, you embrace it, and it begins to change everything in the way that we live. That, that um, 
the way we experience that tension as believers and, and most of the time is that we're in a process called sanctification so you're, you're in tension all the time whether or not you understand the theological framework you live in a tension because you've been saved you've been justified and you will be saved that's glorification and you're being saved that's sanctification and that's the process where the Holy Spirit is changing us as we yield to him over time so we're in process all the time that's tension and um, but now we, we've sort of seen it and diagrammed it so that we understand it this tension between the now and the not yet the kingdom is here but not fully here uh, and so we we begin to understand that and the difference that it makes some people want to live at one end or the other of that spectrum both of which cause problems some people say well well you know the the we're on this side of it and so nothing you know there's no miracles or none of those things that happen until the sweet by and by other people want to get too close to the other edge and say well we always get everything that we want right now but this isn't heaven we live in a tension between the two and we've seen the power of the age to come break in and it breaks in all the time when we pray but it doesn't always go the way we want so we, we live in that tension and knowing that I think is extremely helpful and it's helpful in having this understanding as you as you read through the scripture that um, how it all sort of begins to fit together and applies and then we also define the kingdom you know the kingdom of God's not a place a lot of time I think when they read about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven they're, they're thinking of you only is thought of in terms as a as a place but the reality is and we we defined it it's the rule and the reign of God it's his authority to rule that's what they're talking about when we talk about kingdom that's always the primary meaning there's some secondary meanings so we looked at you know seek first his kingdom and his righteousness what are we seeking his kingdom we're seeking his rule and his reign in our lives that's what we're seeking when, when we we pray for his kingdom to come what are we praying for his rule and his reign to be done here on earth as it is in heaven well that that begins to help us then understand um, a, a lot of different things that are going on in scripture one of the things that really helps with is the parables and so I want to talk through some of the parables for you today. I think the, the first uh, passage of Scripture I have in, in your notes is Matthew 13, 10 through 17. So let's read that. And that will set us up for a bunch of parables in Matthew 13. Beginning in verse 10, The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? And he replied, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables, though seeing they do not see, though hearing they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They hard to hear with their ears and their eyes, uh, they've closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men Long to see what you see, but did not see it, and hear what you hear, but did not hear it. So the disciples are asking Jesus, well, why, why do you teach in parables? Uh, what's the whole idea? And, and why is he teaching about the kingdom of God in parables? Well, parables are a teaching tool that help people discover truth. They help, they help people look at things in a way that allows them to process at a, at a deeper level to look at things from a new perspective so the person hearing the parable has to think about what it means and and when you have to think about it when you figure out the truth in that manner it sticks with you and, and so the cool thing is that about parables is that rather impose truth on a person they they put people in a position 
to realize the truth. And that's why they're so powerful, because when you get a hold of what's being taught, you hold on to it. And, and so that's why Jesus taught that way. He wanted people to come with uh, an open eyes and open ears and open hearts. And if they would do that, they could hear what he was teaching them very clearly and they would understand it and it would make sense. But if their eyes weren't open and if their ears weren't open and if their hearts weren't open, they wouldn't hear it. Now, you know, the, the Pharisees of the day, that's the established religious community, were so hard-hearted that they refused to take it in. And, and the, the really difficult thing about that is they'd seen enough of what he'd done that they, they were pretty certain it probably was God, but they didn't like the package. Think about that. And so they rejected him offhand, just said, no, we don't like the way you look. We're not ready to give up our stuff, our position, our authority. You're not coming and doing what we wanted, so we don't care. And yet, throughout the history of the Old Testament, the prophets were rejected just like that. They would come with the word of God and in effect the people that they were there to speak to would usually kill them. And it just continued to run right through. But everything, the, the Old Testament is so cool because these themes are running through it all the time. Once you see them, they just, your eyes open up to what was going on, how profound this amazing book that we have is the Bible and how authored by, by, by different people and yet uh, uh, written by different people yet authored by the Holy Spirit it has this amazing theme through it if you're coming on the weekends right now I'm back into the Exodus uh, as we talk about rest and how the theme of the Exodus is running through the scripture and once you see it you'll see it over and over again I have a, I have a great passage of scripture for this weekend so I'm really looking forward to it I'm not going to give it away just be here this weekend or watch it online however so uh, what's going on is that the people of Israel were looking for a Messiah who would deliver them from the oppression they were experiencing at the hands of the Romans and who would restore the glory of the Davidic reign. Remember, that's what they wanted. That's what they'd been waiting for. That's what they were longing for, uh, a political overthrow. And when they saw Jesus and the things they could do, they were convinced that that's what he was going to do. And so they began to shut down everything else. And, and if it didn't go that way, even his disciples would have trouble um, taking up on that. They couldn't grasp that this was going to happen in, in two stages. Um, primarily because they didn't want to hear it. You, you ever notice that um, sometimes when we don't want to take in a truth, even though it's true, we just really don't want to hear it? Like somehow if we... And yet, you, you can't do that with truth. And yet, that's what they were doing. They wanted political deliverance. And, and Jesus did not come the first time to deal with the Roman Empire. He came to expose the work of the enemy and inaugurate the kingdom by giving himself to the, at the cross to pay for our sin and to set us free from the kingdom of darkness. That's why he came the first time. Thank God that he did and that he was willing to, um, to, to expose the darkness with the light. And what a difference uh, for us, you know, and for the world. When he returns, he will consummate the kingdom. And he's going to set everything in order. And the perils, uh, parables in Matthew, um, you can look at them with that now and not yet understanding that we've been talking about and really help. So there's seven parables in Matthew 13. Two of them are about the judgment when Jesus comes back. Um, the parable of the wheat and, and weeds and the parable of the net. Those, that, that, that looks like three, but two of them are in parallel, so it's, it's good. And then um, the other five are about the present reality of the kingdom of God. Now, remember, the kingdom is always the rule and reign of God, his authority to rule and reign. 
Secondary meanings are possible, but that's what's going on. All right, so let's look at Matthew 13, 1 through 9. That same day, Jesus, this is the parable of the sower, by the way. Jesus went out of the house and sat, uh, sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. And then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came up and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plant. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times that which was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. And then, you know, praise God, he explains it to his disciples and it's recorded for us in the book. Verse 18. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom, the rule and reign, and does not understand it, the evil one comes, snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the person who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since it has no root, it lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the one who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. So, so the seed that's sown is the message about the kingdom of God. It's the gospel. It's the good news. That's the seed that's being sown. The good news that, that God's rule and reign is now here uh, in part, and it can be experienced by people now. We can come into, uh, in effect, our eternal life right now uh, and begin to experience it in part. Um, and what happens is our, our adversary will rob some. Others will reject the message in favor of what the world has to offer. And others will accept the good news and experience full and abundant now and forever life that Jesus made possible. That's what happens, and that's what does happen. Uh, that's what happens all the time. So um, this is ongoing, and one of the things that we continue to do as part of the kingdom is we, we continue to share the good news wherever we can about who Jesus is and what he's come. And we do it in a way that's life-giving and not finger-pointing and judgmental, in a way that, hey, we can have this amazing life, and it's available to us now. The parable of the wheat and the weeds, verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servant asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No. He answered, Because while you're pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At the time I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be bruised, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. So the, the judgment that results in the separation of the people of the kingdom of God and the people of the kingdom of darkness doesn't take place at Jesus' first coming. It will take place when Jesus comes back at the end of this present evil age. And we talked about things that happen and resurrections that happen uh, then at that point in time. And so uh, all those who receive the message are accepted 
by the Father. Everybody who receives the good news, who take it in and who begin to live it out and who walk in it and who decide that they're going to follow Jesus, they're accepted by the Father. The parable of the mustard seed, verse 31. He then uh, told them another parable, the kingdom of, of heaven. Remember I said kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven are interchangeable. Uh, and we talked about why those are. Same thing. It's like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Though it's the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. So the kingdom of God was inaugurated when Jesus came the first time. It will continue now to grow until he comes back the second time. The kingdom is here now in part, but it will be fully here when he, re when he returns. So it's growing. It, it's, it's constantly on, uh, on the move. It's, it's uh, been constantly uh, expanding for the last 2,000 years. Uh, I love thinking about the church. I, 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 I know I, I say this fairly often when we're together, but how cool is it to be a part of something that's been going on for 2,000 years? How, how cool is it that the church history is our history? You know, and it's had its ups and downs, don't get me wrong. But because of people being faithful to the gospel, we're here. Had, had any, at any point in time, if they'd stopped being faithful, but the church continues in, in, in the most incredible of times all over the world in places so horrifically persecuted and yet thriving because people are faithful to the gospel and, and we're, we're a part of it. I love to read, you know, the... The, the stories in, in, the, in, in you know, the Gospels and in the book of Acts and, and go, we're here because of that. And, and those stories are still ongoing. You know, that the book of Acts, I always be, want to be careful how I say this. When the, the book of Acts is completed, it's done, it's written, it's finished. We're not adding to the Bible. But what was happening in the book of Acts continues. The same things are happening. The same stories are taking place. The same miracles are happening. People's lives are being touched and changed. They're being added to the kingdom. And it, it continues to happen just as it did. And it continues and it continues and it continues. So the, the kingdom is continuing its process. If you ever get a chance, go and look how small a mustard seed is. I don't know if you've ever seen mustard seed. I have, used to have jar floating around here. I would get right now. They're so tiny. And, and so it's a great, but they grow into this huge thing. So it's very cool to have that happen. The, the parable of yeast, same sort of thing. Verse 33, he told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. And so the, the parable is about the, the transforming power of the kingdom to change individuals and, and communities. When Jesus returns, the kingdom will be consummated. It will have worked all the way through the dough. But for those of you that have yeast, it's fascinating how yeast works through the dough. You know, they... Uh, in, in, uh, it would have made even more sense to them because they, uh, the way they used to make bread, it was sort of perpetual. Like um, because of the yeast, they would they would they would make bread, but they would keep a little piece uh, of the dough for the next day, and then they would mix that back into the stuff, and it would be enough to keep going. And they kept they could do that for a long time, and it would continue to make bread. Pretty cool when that happens. The parable of the treasure in the field. Verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold what he had and bought that field. The parable of the fine pearls. These two are in parallel. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. 
when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So these, these two parables are presented in a parallel fashion, meaning they're, they're in effect both saying the same thing and they have in effect the same meaning, uh, which is ultimately that nothing compares to the kingdom of God. The only difference, I like this, the only difference is that one person kind of happens upon the kingdom without realizing he was searching for something. But when he finds it, he realizes it was more valuable than anything he owned. And the other person is actively searching for the kingdom and then finally finds it. And you know why I like that? Because I'm that first person. I, I have stumbled upon the kingdom I didn't even know I was looking for. I knew something wasn't right, but I didn't know that I was looking for that. And, and, and then when I... When it was presented to me, I realized that, oh yeah, that's it. That's it. You know, because so, I didn't grow up in a, in a Christian home, I think I've told you that. And, and uh, uh, so the first time I ever heard the gospel um, was in college. And I didn't really take it in because I didn't want to. And there was a guy from the campus, Crusade for Christ or something, who had convinced my roommate to let him in. And... Uh, I just tried to be distracting the whole time. I think I was just popping beers constantly, <laughs> whipping them down on the floor to get this guy to go. Something horrible like that. And uh, so I didn't really hear it. Yeah. And then, and then when I was, that was 18, 19, I, I had a friend and I went through a situation and he, I did let him sh share the gospel with me after dinner until about midnight. And uh, I think I told you that story. And, and I, I absolutely agreed with everything he said, except I think I've told you that. I couldn't figure out how they had any fun. I, if he could have straightened me out on that, I think I would have been in. But it was like, well, pff, that looks really boring to me. I said, yeah, not for me. And uh, I t I've told you that story. He gave me his Bible that night uh, at midnight. He, he, you know, he, he did a great job. And he handed me his Bible, and it was his Bible, all this marketing stuff. I still have it. I have it at home on a shelf. This is a long time ago now, uh, 40 years ago. Wow. Um, and so that, that wasn't it. But then in 1985, uh, all of a sudden, it just, it just made sense. God arranged another set of circumstances for me, and boom, that time it made sense. So, uh, and then I realized that was the best deal going. I was in, I've been all in ever since. Um, but, but you get it. So it's kind of fascinating. You know, the other thing I like about those parables, if you read them, uh, is that one of the neat things you can do with those parables, and parables are fun because you can spend a lot of time thinking about parables, is you can swap them around and, and that, that you can, that Jesus, that, so like you're the treasure hidden in the field and Jesus finds you, and you're the pearl of great price, and Jesus finds you, and you were worth everything to him, and he gave everything. He could be in relationship with you. I like that. You like that? They work both ways. And that's very cool when you think about it. So when Jesus, you were like a treasure hidden in a field, and he gave everything so he could have you, and you're a pearl of great value. And pearl merchants know what they're talking about. And when, when Jesus saw you, he wanted you that bad. So very cool stuff. Um, so I like that in the parables. The parable of the net. And this is one of the judgment ones when he comes back the second time. Matthew 13, 47 through 50. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down a lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on shore. And then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping 
and gnashing of teeth. And again, um, that's why it's so important for us to live this gospel out and share it where we can. There is that time when people have to decide. But when, you know what, because people go, well, how is that even possible? That doesn't sound like anything I, I, God, it's not God's heart for that to happen. God's giving everybody an opportunity to come into relationship with him, but he will honor everybody's choice because that's what he's given everybody a choice and he will honor it. And he's given us this entire life to choose and everything that's in it. And he's constantly making himself known, constantly. So, I, so I don't, if you didn't grow up in it, you, it may not be as apparent to you, but having not grown up into it and watching how from the time that I was able to start making decisions to start seeing things, it's, he was constantly showing himself to me, giving me opportunities to accept or reject constantly, 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 constantly. And, and you know, I, having, having accepted now, I can go back and see all those things but, but uh, you know, maybe didn't get it at the time, but it was uh, just overwhelming to me when I go back and look at how much he was in pursuit of me and, and how amazing that is. And I know it wasn't just me. He's in pursuit of everyone. And, and that's very cool, uh, the lengths that he's gone to. So, you know, that's his heart. He wants to be in relationship with everybody. And, and so he continues on. But everybody gets a choice or else it wouldn't mean anything. So that's what's happening. So... Um, these parables are a picture of what Jesus has done and what he will do. He came, he inaugurated the kingdom. When he returns, he will consummate the kingdom. And until he does, people have the opportunity to receive or reject the message. That's how that works. And that's what's going on. Okay, that's enough for one day. We'll, we'll do some more next week. But we're going to end it right there. If you're watching my video, thanks for watching. And come and see us when you can. All right.